Underground, overground, wambling free. The wambles are wins are wins. Come on, come on. Come on, you have it. Now, the dance, okay? Okay. Now go on in. Right. Hop one, hop two, hop one, two, three. Tish, tish, tish. It's lovely to be here again. I'm Donica Tiernan. I'm Rory Moore. This is the podcast for you, sir. We're going to There's be some nice rain sounds in the background. Movies, movies, movies. That was our new sound effect. Yeah, we really like we. Yeah, we've got what it signifies is when someone's phone goes off in the studio. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> so we're ready to kick it off with some news. Yeah. Um, it seems from a genuine enough source, we've got loads and loads of true detective news, right? Um, some character working, some character working for a film divider, an American website called the the unfortunately named Charles Madison. Um, it's only unfortunate if you if you like skim over it and <laughs> misread it. Say to, yeah, that's what happened to me. I was like, whoa, what? That's not a funny reference. Uh, especially considering the show he's reporting on. Um, my God, wouldn't you love to see Nick Pazzolato dramatise the Charles Manson affair? That's yeah. off topic and a scary direction. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, someone needs to dramatise it soon, though, yeah, before it's just, you know, pastiche. Anyway, uh, Charles Madison seems to have gotten Nick Pizzolatto d- drunk and just gotten all the information out of him like that priest in the Father Ted Christmas special <laughs> where he gets seduced by Todd Bumptious because there is just so much in it, in it like... He seems to tout himself as a bit of a Nolan of television with it, with all the with all the secrecy. But here we are, loads of information on it. First of all, Colin Farrell, ha- it can be confirmed, has has been offered a part in it. And to be honest, you'd be nuts to turn it down. I think we yeah. can nearly is that absolute confirmation. That he has been that that much has been confirmed yeah, by okay. uh, Nick P- uh, Pizzolatto. Nick Pizza, um, Nick Pizza. Uh, yeah, there I said it. All right, it's fine. Oh, it's it's we'll not. just call him Zah from now yeah, on. Zah, yeah, Zah, Nick Zah. All right. Anyway, um, Colin Farrell has been offered a role, as has Taylor Kish. Now, this article, I don't know. Do I recommend you go near it or not? Mainly because it's there. It gives away an awful lot. Like for instance, it says the Colin Farrell character, block years who don't want to know anything, uh, will have terrible problems with cocaine and anger management. Now. Um, we know it's to be set in LA. There would be three detectives. One, of the, the other one is rumored to be uh, Jessica Chastain, um, which is great. Great to see because I mean, the, the, there was a little bit of a lack of female characters in the first one, like Rebecca Monaghan, kind of did the best with what she had. But um, Michelle Monaghan, yeah, and um, who was the Michelle other? Michelle Monaghan, that's the one. There was no one else really in the. Well, uh, Woody, Far- Woody Harrison's love interest. I oh, which one? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> His teenage sex toy, or uh, the the DA is the one working at the DA. She was office? like an assistant, or yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, loads more on True Detective, so it seems it will be happening. The only question is when, and of course, the um, other the the other big uh, big bit of doozy is that they're going to be using a number of different directors, and they have been, by all rumor and account, um, and this uh, this film divide movie divide thing seems to be as good of a rumor mill as any. Um, they're offering it around to apparently very high-profile directors, and the only one that's been directly mentioned in the article is maybe William Friedkin, which, my God, would be fantastic. Yeah, but also kind of a shot in the arm for him. How do you mean? As in, like, to get a chance to do something that dense. He hasn't really done anything like that in a while. Yeah, that's true. But I'd never say his best is behind him. I was a big fan of Killer Jonah, for instance. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, no. Who, who else would, we rather, would you rather see in this, like? 
Well, you laughed off. I was going to say off camera, off whatever this thing in front of us is. Michael Haneke? No? Yeah, Michael Haneke. No, I'm not seeing that. No? I'm not even, I'm not, like, what? I want to have to, like, squint and watch in the distance while things are happening and I'm not sure what they are and just, like, it's kind of like, shouldn't someone be following them with the camera? There'll be, like, like what's the point in having the likes of uh, Colin Farrell and Jessica Chastain on set if they, if they don't talk? Because that, that, that has a they'll, nice thing to it. They'll just look for things... In their in their closets at home and start crying, That's and then it'll come to a commercial break. I don't want to see anything outside of their respective homes. They just go out and come back in. You have to guess why they're so sad and, <laughs> and no. like weird frothy things. Uh, like home invasion by oh god no, yeah. not Haniki. I'm not accepting that as an answer. Well, you you can see I, I have a variety of them here. Paul Thomas Anderson. It never happened, but no, it would never happen. I, but it, well, I don't know. I think it, 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 his scale would be too big for it. I think he shoots big movies. Um, but that's what I'd like to see him on a budget and have to... Because, I mean, no, his, mm, it's all individual true, style. Yeah, like. true, true, true. Who's Sean Durkin? Sean Durkin, he is... Um, have you heard of Southcliff? Yes, it I was have. The, I think it was a BBC drama. Not drama for... Yeah, BBC. Uh, won loads of awards. Um, uh, he just has a fantastic visual style. It's not, it's not dissimilar to Carrie Fukunaga, um, the guy mm. who directed the first season. Um, just really kind of sparse... Uh, big open spaces you know he he would do when I say he'd do much the same as Kari Fukunaga he'd be like stylistically similar but he'd bring something new to it hmm. and, and you, you've either McDonough down here either well. McDonough I don't know man I want to see them shoot something they didn't write yeah that's what I'm thinking I do like I don't I, neither of them really has much of a that's the thing a visual style well no I mean Michael McDonough or John Michael McDonough uh, makes great use of the Irish countryside but that's just because it's there rather yeah because it's gorgeous and he got more of a budget than a helicopter for uh, yeah. for Calvary that's what happened there but um, um, I just like to see him have a go with something that I didn't write and something that isn't glib and self aware and yeah yeah no I'm seeing where you're coming from um, I, do, I, I like it. I'm th- I was thinking to myself maybe like uh, Christopher Nolan after Interstellar inevitably becomes a turkey Um I don't know, is it inevitable? We'll argue about that another time. But no, my, my issue with Christopher Nolan is he's too big not to have a say in, in the writing. And I want the writing left alone. Yeah, that's true. And, um... But someone who's got... Clint Eastwood would be an interesting choice, despite the fact that I, I think in the last few years he's become a very boring director visually. Um, yeah. He's, uh, he, he's... Michael Mann! Yeah, maybe. That'd be... That'd be a show. I don't know, but I think this is kind of... It becomes big He's the for, man but, but, for the job. Wow. <laughs> but just as... Um, I'm just going to gloss over that. But just as it's kind of become bait for big actors to do the second season, it's going to become bait for big directors, but I'd like to see another young, hungry director. Yeah! Uh, is it Jeremy Poitier? Or it could just be Poitier, because he's American-French. Uh, the, the director of Blue Ruin. Oh yeah, yeah, is he, yeah. Is he still on to do it? Um, he watch me. He was. He's been mentioned very ardently in conversation, and he'd be great at it yeah. as well. Because he actually did have a visual setting that film. In case this is your first time listening to uh, this podcast, Rory and I still have. I don't think we've gone one without mentioning it. <laughs> I don't think I've gotten over Blue Rune yet. Yeah, that's the best film I've seen this year. Uh, you got to go along to it. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, okay, interesting choices all around. But yeah, as well, um, director of the first one, Fukunaga. Kerry Fukunaga. Um, yeah, amazing visual style, and I watched his uh, his sole film effort, and it's it's very very good. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, give give, give someone else a shout. Uh, he should be able to do whatever he wants in Hollywood now. As well. Oh, he's he really kind should, of yeah. um, like shot every single episode of that yeah. amazing time. And it's a big thing when you can turn around and have people call it Carrie Fukunaga's True Detective. Anyone, any director's TV show, like yeah. that, shouldn't be a thing. Well, no, it should. It's fantastic. But. No, anyway, we'll be swiftly along because this is a film podcast after all. And don't worry, we've got a. But oh, hold on, we linked it up to the Irish thing because it was originally about Colin Farrell with True Detective. So ha 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 ha. There you go. Um, it was better when it was on set, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so next bit, next bit, we bit of news is a a bit of an internet uh, doozy. Um, it was gotten via something called the Badass Digest, which um, reputable source. To be honest, it's been it's been tossed around the internet a fair bit now at this point. So I'd imagine there is a bit of there there, there must be a bit of truth in it. Mm. Um, so will I will I dramatically read read us through it? Do you want to dramatically read us through it? Can you do an Alec Guinness impression while you're doing it? I can try. <laughs> um, the opening crawl, padding to reveal Luke Skywalker's severed hand, still holding the lightsaber that Obi-Wan gave him in the first film. The lightsaber, we're assuming the hand burns up on entry, falls to a desert planet, not necessarily Tatooine, where it is found by Daisy Ridley's character and the character played by John Boyega, who is reportedly a stormtrooper who has deserted his unit in an attempt to change his life. They recognise it as a Jedi relic, set out to learn more and meet Han and Chewie, who recognise its origin and tell them that its owner has not been seen in 30 years since the events of Return of the Jedi. It's, it's good the way they know the movie based on yeah. the, 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 the things that happened to them. Meanwhile, on a nice planet, someone is building a new and more powerful super weapon. Right. That was exactly what I was looking for. That was exactly <laughs> the impression I was looking for. I think I nailed it with Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, I have to say, okay, despite the fact that this sounds so Star Wars, um, and so JJ as well, I can literally see the lens flare, um, which I know is a cliche at this point, but can you not? When that's when that the yeah, 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 just yeah. lumbers across the screen, that's what it's going to glint off a bit of the light. Oh, it's going to be awful. But anyway, no, um, I have to say... Um, yeah, that sounds so Star Wars and just so bloody thick. I'm, I don't know. It, to be honest, that had as damaging an effect on my ability to view Star Wars as it did that. Remember that time we watched it in, in high definition? Yeah, yeah. Which is just a mistake. The consoles Star- were literally painted boxes. Oh, Star, Star Wars fans, do not watch Star Wars in high definition. I'm sure your childhood no, dreams. my goodness. But <laughs> uh, yeah, this kind of so- this sounds like this sounds like like uh, a load of wank. To be honest, uh, um, I'm not really like I'm the jury's right, out on, on anything. Right, hold on. So this is this this right. I hope it's not true because there's a few things I, I like to point out. First of all, yeah, these characters um, we find out more and they recognize it as a Jedi relic, and then they set out to learn more and meet Han and Chewie. Yeah, that happens. Anyway, in 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 a galaxy of infinite possibilities, uh, you could argue if Luke has disappeared, then Jedi stuff is rare. So there's the, only could only be one or two owners. But yeah, this. Uh, but that's actually the main thing that bothers me about the fact that if the if the Jedi are still recluse, and I wanted to see, you know, when you get a, a time jump in something, and so a, a seed that was planted at the start has to be you know blossomed and become this whole other thing if it's just going to be a, still a Jedi-less universe I'm kind of like I'd rather see New Republic yes I'm still holding mm. on to the canon from the books alright <laughs> yeah yeah you are uh, which apparently has been completely disregarded yeah completely uh, also I love the, uh, the way uh, Han and, Han and uh, Chewie are able to um, 
refer to uh, their previous experience uh, with Luke Skywalker as the offense, the offensive return of the Jedi. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him in about thirty years. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, it's, it, it, it it all sounds very silly to me at the moment. I'm just I'm also concerned. With, okay, you're going to call me on this, but it, the the hand shouldn't be in space. Yeah, it was on a planet. It was on Cloud City, and it, if it fell, it would not fall into space. No, it, no, it's yeah. Oh, uh, that's that. That's the main stupid thing now, to be honest. That's yeah. that's patently ridiculous. So patently ridiculous that we spent four or five minutes talking about it on the podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God, but they the, got us. The fact of the matter is, you can't like walk two steps on the internet these days without running into some new Star Wars news. So yeah. you and God, I yeah. Look, look, all right, let's make a pact. Let's no Star Wars news for a month. That's not going to happen. No, we're not... Well, unless they come up with a... J.J. Abrams will be listening to this week's podcast and go, <laughs> Well... I was uh, waiting for this. Guess who's whose father this time, suckers. Uh, yeah, not uh, not really too interested in that. I ju- and as well, just again, to go back to it, I can't think of anything more moronic than spinning away from the you know the, the, the writing role and seeing a hand with a lightsaber in it. But I, I don't know what they could possibly do that's going to, like, we're still going to be sitting in the cinema on the, hopefully in a preview, but definitely on the first or second night. This is Preview, online. baby! Anyone who reads <laughs> anything online, oh, yeah. no matter what they read, they're still going to be in there. Yeah, that's just true. So it could be this this movie specifically about how you are a dickhead, and they're still going to be sitting there watching, hey, I'm in it. Yeah, the, the, like, Star Wars Episode Seven: the live feed of Dunnick Tiernan's mother's head getting cut off. Oh, right, I'll be there. <laughs> Um, anyway they didn't say it was getting darker so okay. yeah yeah well it's a sequel it's got to get darker doesn't yeah. it yeah, yeah yeah that's one thing that I can guarantee you about any of the new Star Wars films is that they'll be much darker than the last one Fifty Shades of Increasing Grey <laughs> that's good uh, also on a bum note as well uh, the teaser for Fifty Shades of Grey was released uh, today bum note was that intentional yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh god, I'm re- that's a film that I will. I am do- writing the review for that. I am signing up for the preview of that because I read that book to see what all the hype was about, and I cannot. I have no idea how they're not going to make this. Nay, softcore porn, hardcore porn. That book is ridiculous. I am uh, still uh, innocent and uninitiated, and I will remain so. I think. Yeah, don't bother, really. But it's just like. I, I think actually a new form of fetish was born out of, out of being the, the ability to watch women reading Fifty Shades on public transport. Uh, <laughs> now I'm not going to shit on it from a literary perspective. I just admitted to reading the expanded universe of Star Wars, but you know. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you uh, you recently hopped up to the Galway Film Flat. I did indeed, and I'd say the most comprehensive coverage you're going to find of it. Uh, first of all, it was a bumper year for Irish film, apparently. Like. Nay, more so than the fact that it's an Irish film festival anyway, but it was uh, jam-packed full of great films uh, by all accounts. I only stayed for the one night, sadly, but I did, I did get a screening. But yeah, if you go onto the site and just click on the Galway Film Fla link, it will give you link you to all the reviews, um, such as uh, The Poison Pen and Light of Day, which were the two films uh, crowdfunded and made by master students in film base. So they're like, they've literally been made in the last two months and were very well received. Um, we have the opening film, which was Begin Again, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, Glasslands and Patrick's Day, which won the joint award, the former being uh, Jared Barrett's follow-up feature. You're going to talk a little bit about Pilgrim Hill mm-hmm. later. And uh, Terry McMahon, who, if you click on the In Conversation tab on the website, you'll get an interview with him. Um, and then, yeah, there's just, like, I could go on and on. We've On Bruntonus, A Night in Game Falling, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. There was very few bum notes. We were... 
at Film Ireland we were quite positive about Irish film shockingly <laughs> um, so yeah the only one I actually managed to see was Darkness on the Edge of Town which I won't spend too much time on uh, I think it's Mr. Ushin Hanlon reviewed it on the website um, beautifully shot great idea script didn't really hang together and the chemistry wasn't really there in the performances but overall still a great film from I think it was uh, Patrick Ryan uh, of Lagoon Pictures so yeah click onto the website and have a look cool beans very good and that was uh, Rory from the Galway Film Flat there. As he said, there's plenty of uh, reviews from all the films that went up there. I'm particularly interested in seeing those two film-based master students-funded yeah. projects. Um, One of which was written by Owen Colfer. Remember Artemis Fowl? Go away! Yeah, yeah, Poison Pen. It's uh, about a... I'm actually... I'm not even going to summarise. I'm not sure what it's about. Um... But yeah, it was very well received as a comedy. Wow, and he he gave one of his scripts to the film based master students. Yeah. What a top dude. Yeah. Well, you say gave, again, apparently they were very good. Yeah. People uh, also gave them 25 grand to make them, so. Yeah, wow, really looking forward to seeing them. Um, they're features, yes? Yeah. Wow. Both one is a mockumentary about the making of a B vampire movie, and the other is a romantic comedy. See, I love the idea. Like, I love whenever I hear that a film come in for under twenty five grand because I cannot think of a, 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 a structure of physics where that is impossible to do that and make a good story. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's the whole Dogma ninety five initiative in me. I'm, I've always been a big fan of that idea. But um, yeah, I, I just to, to hear that now. I'm really going to see those. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really looking forward to them. Um, Blue Room was quite a cheap film to make, wasn't it? Yeah, it was crowdsourced as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Blue Room. Which one is that again? Blue Room. Uh, it's a story of a, a good, it's a revenge Sounds story. Sounds silly, I'm not interested. <laughs> Alright, cool. Uh, now it's uh, it's time, uh, we need a jingle for this. Have you done your homework? Huh? No more time, no more time, what a wonderful time of the day. Uh, yours was Rory, I challenged due to the jewel of Neil Jordan's adaptation of Patrick McCabe's excellent book Breakfast on Pluto yeah. a film which I w- did catch up myself on in the last week and I'll talk about what I thought about it as well but you won yeah um, thoroughly enjoyed this one and actually probably now my favourite film from Neil Jordan I can't believe I've never seen it can't believe it was 2005 as well which I know was nearly 10 years ago but it still feels too recent mm. for Neil Jordan <laughs> who made a film that uh, I consider seminal but um, yeah I don't think we could have given one other, one another different more different films tonally yeah, uh, we, I, I think we were we were actually being a bit uh, self xenophobic by just saying Irish yeah, films. Yeah, <laughs> Irish films. Both like both <laughs> ends. But yeah, basically, uh, quick synopsis of it. I suppose it's kind of a weird Cinderella story. Patrick Kitten Braden is it played by Killian Murphy? Um, is a cross dresser living in a small town Ireland in the seventies, who basically just goes from place to place looking for acceptance well no I wouldn't even say looking for acceptance saying this is what I am and accept it yeah kind of um, yeah it's fantastic very, he's, not, very he's, not, he's not a martyr no absolutely not mm. and you have the backdrop of the troubles I suppose and um, mm. he's living on a border town and yeah it's there's there's, there's a lot going on underneath but um, on the surface it is just a story about this this man looking for acceptance there are real shades of Paris Texas in this one Wim Wenders yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. masterpiece there are real shades of that I re- yeah I rewatched it because just, just upon assigning it I realised I hadn't actually seen it in years, and yeah no I wouldn't I'm some uh, some say I would be an apologist in this regard but I don't believe so my favourite um, 
Neil Jordan film is is the interview with the vampire. I just think that is a doozy and one of Tom Cruise's best performances. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. You don't have to be an apologist for that. It's still a decent film. But uh, yeah, no, uh, big fan of Breakfast on Pluto. Glad you enjoyed it, sir. Yeah, it's kind of um, like it's just bizarre from the start. But like the moment you see Kenny Murphy prancing around, you just get on board with it straight away. There are. <laughs> Every Irish, every Irish actor working at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And so as well, it's just like, right? Does Stephen Ray do work for anyone else? First of all, because he's terrific. Yeah, he well, he was in Utopia, which we were talking about earlier, which is a great series on Channel Four. That oh, you that's right. That's just returned, um, and I'll be catching he, up on that. He's actually evening. currently in a play with Killian Murphy, written by Endo Walsh. You know, Disco Pigs. Yes, seen? that's yeah. a fantastic. Film. Yeah, yeah, that's one I was actually. Um, I was, I was going to give you instead of Pilgrim Hill, but I said that I'd would have been for, a more able match for. Yeah, actually. Yeah, they're, they're currently starring in Bally Turk, I think, together with uh, Michael Murphy as well, and it's been very well received, also in Galway. I think, as well, one thing that, one massive credit you have to give to. Now, first of all, for all of uh, Neil Jordan's very, like, very shooting style, I read, like, one film that I definitely reckon he watched in research and preparation was, did you ever see uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch? Now, I know it's also about transvestism, yeah. but it's just the shift between animation and styles that nearly... Yeah, really, no, I haven't seen Like, there's a part where... Um, you, you remember when he's being uh, he's being brutalised in the police station yeah and they switch to a sort of a noir detective film um, styling it's, it's, very, it's very good like natural born killers as well so yeah I um, I really admire that and as well it just any collaboration it, to be honest I'm a huge Pat McCabe fan and if you've never read the books of Pat McCabe um, catch up on them they're fantastic and Neil Jordan is the second adaptation of a book by Pat McCabe he uh, Pat McCabe <coughs> plays the the uh, a creative writing teacher in um, oh in the classroom yeah, yeah. that's fantastic yeah. that's actually one of my, my, my favourite scenes he's, a, he's, a, he's the author behind the book and uh, the other collaboration they had was of course Butcher Boy which is really redefines not for the faint hearted yeah well, that's a deeply disturbing did we see uh, maybe not a cameo but a return from um, I can't remember the name of the young lad played the Butcher Boy with the two IRA guys one of them was, was that was Francie yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's right yeah 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 in a fantastic scene where they like dig a, dig a hole and put Killian Murphy's character in it and like try to threaten him and threaten to kill him and he just says you know have you not got another bullet to spare <laughs> and they're like no leave us alone you're weird <laughs> yeah so uh, thumbs up from that anyway so did I did I, did I win on that you did. I don't know we say win. <laughs> I won. I got to see a good film. Yeah, this is it. And I also got to see a good film. I was just talking about uh, um, how I love the idea of uh, just low expense, strength and story, shooting and structure and things like that. And Pilgrim Hill really kind of just delivers on that. I mean, I don't know anybody who's been to old, rural, lonely, bachelor Ireland. There's a real... I doubt they're going to be listening to this. <laughs> well, first of all, yeah. But there's... Um, it, it really you'd nearly say uncomfortably has the viewer sit in a sect of society that we don't even we don't even give the agency of ignoring it just doesn't enter anybody's head yeah that this that the, the, that this is a lot of people's lives yeah it's not something that pops up on the top five list from Fort Ireland of what Ireland yeah. is and it's a societal thing as well like I mean I'm sure it exists other places but not en masse like 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 uh, as it does in Ireland mm. in, in the Midlands in particular hey, let me break it down for you director's name again Gerard Barrett Gerard Barrett this is his uh, first film which basically chronicles uh, a month or so I'm going to say yeah thereabouts in the uh, life of a farmer who lives with his sick father and just sort of lonely lives off the land really and that's 
re- that's nearly about the gist of it. Yeah, it's an odd one to, to kind of try and synopsize because that that is it. But when you say that's it, that's not a that's by like no the, means the, a deterrent. No, there are, like I mean, there are little moments that, like the 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 moments they find drama in it are just in. I mean, this man is so so isolated, self isolated, like he does to himself, um, puts himself away from other people that any real interaction with him and the general public kind of nearly demands sort of high drama there's a tension built with silence yeah in the watching that like there's just like for instance there's a there's a part where like um two truckers call to his house and it's just there's a there's a panic in it and as well when he's pulled over by the guard yeah there's yeah. just an insane panic in it we watch a regular scene in in an everyday movie but in this one it's down to the strength of the way it's shot yeah, he's, I, not, he's not. He's not. He, he's not so much. He's not. So, he's not trying to do a Ken Loach in it in that he wants to dwell in misery. He just like wants. To, he wants to shoot his own way. Very still angles uh, in it. Just he, lets things happen yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah like especially the scene you're talking about with, with the two truckers calling at the end. It's like there isn't a single bar of music in the film. Mm. Um, until there's just one contained piano piece at the very end, and actually when I first started, I was like, "Oh no, he ruined it. He could, but like you know, could have gone the whole way without anything." But the way it's done, it's actually a fantastic ending to the film, and yeah, just made for five grand. Uh, now I'd imagine there were a fair few favors called in with you know colleagues who were, and it had a general release in China. I did not know that. There you are now. There I am now. <laughs> that's what China think we are now. Isn't that fantastic? I well, I just for for Jared Baron, that's just. Yeah, R- ridiculous. I was looking at all the countries that it made money in, and it made more than made its money back. And uh, it obviously it made um, it made probably its most in Ireland, but um, it had a box office sum in China, which is crazy. Yeah, and obviously his follow up feature then was the one that was a joint winner this year, Glassland with uh, Jack Rayner, um, Tony Collette, and Michael Smiley, actually who you're a fan of. Michael Smiley. Oh yeah, yeah. I and watched that. Yeah, I'm I'm mad to see it. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to stick around for the screening, unfortunately, but it was very well received. And it's basically people are talking about how he's kind of now that he has a budget, this will travel. And actually, he's won uh, Pilgrim Hill particularly because it's the only one I've seen. Really reminded me of Sean Durkin and Southcliffe, and then my mind leaped there from he would be a good pick for True Detective. Mm. He would, and but. he's uh, yeah, he's still a voice unfussed by studio pressure at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he was he was a ta- like uh, he was discovered immediately and yeah. uh, has been mentored and this kind of thing. But he's very much making his own films. Cool. Well, uh, all right. So I I had a novel idea for. Uh, by the way, you won as well. We're still sort of uh, <laughs> placating each other. Uh, God, I, I'm going to try and just. St- I'm going to try and sneak in a film that I hate soon enough and just see how you react to it. How mad I get. Well, then you discover I actually haven't been watching them. <laughs> and, yeah, it'll be awkward. Yeah, Wikipedia is a doozy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, just in conjunction with the uh, last night's final night ever of Monty Pythoning, uh, which was shown actually live in an awful lot of cinemas nationwide. British comedies? Yeah, works for me. Uh, have you seen the Ealing classic Kind Hearts and Cornet with none other than... Alec Guinness playing <laughs> Not several, that, presumably. several members of the same family. I uh, haven't even heard of it, but if Alec Guinness is doing an Eddie Murphy, I will most certainly watch that, yeah. <laughs> um, and I will give you Whoops Apocalypse. Either based on, I think I've spoke about it briefly before, but uh, yeah, when we were, oh, when we were talking commemorating about Rick Mail, yeah. So actually, it's just made me sad now, but yeah. Fantastic when we were commemorating film. Rick Mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. We did, yeah, we have, we have an official online document of commemoration of Rick Mail. Yeah, once again. 
Can you edit in a few seconds silence for Rick Mail there? And we'll just keep talking. Right. Meow. I believe it's on to reviews time. Yeah. Actually talking about films, which you, you know, that's not what we And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and uh, you've got two this week, so I'm going to push you out for, to go for one first there. All right, so so uh, this one I'm just going to get out of the way. Ripping off the Band-Aid and crying profusely, I saw Pudsy the dog. Oh, uh, right, first of all, two, yeah, three. I'm going to have to grill you on, the, on, on a few of these things, right? What's Pudsy the dog? Because uh, uh, it's not Pudsy the dog, it's Pudsy the dog, colon, the movie. Yeah. The movie. As if we could be mixing it up for no, no, no. This one's the movie. I'd rather spend time in the company of a dog named Pudgy the movie. The dog. It would have like, <laughs> yeah. It's it's. Uh, see, no. This is where you can very easily be a dickhead because it's a kids' film. It's absolutely one hundred percent a kids' film. It's probably going to make its money. Um, is it a good kids' film. This is the thing we've been spoiling that we have the likes of, uh, you know, much the same as I said in the review. I wrote DreamWorks and Pixar have been making films for everyone yeah you know they're the kind of films you can go in and you know you find a child on the street and drag him in and say you know you're my kid we're going to see this finding children (laughs) on the street Rory Um, okay yeah first of all okay who's Pudsy Pudsy is a dog that won Britain's Got Talent like two or three years ago because he was able to stand on his hind legs and find that cute and uh, are you for real yeah yeah and I think Simon Cowell actually said that now I haven't seen any of it but this is what I was reading in the the run up to because I was quite the same I was like who the fuck is Pudsy the dog (laughs) um yeah, apparently Simon Cowell leaned over. I can't believe you got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually backstory this. I emailed Stephen and said I haven't done one in a while. Throw me out one there, and yeah, Stephen, you just buried me. Thanks for that. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Let's just get it out of the way. Uh, Simon Cowell leaned over while Pudgy was doing his dance and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna make you a movie star." And then went on and was a man of his word and did it. But basically, the story is Pudgy is a stray dog around London who catches up with this kind of uh, beleaguered family who've recently lost their father and moving out to the countryside and through various yeah, means yeah because people who have lost their sole source of breadwinner can afford to do that hey now they, the mother was a breadwinner okay, okay. it's a progressive film okay Pudsy the progressive <laughs> dog but uh, yeah they move out to the countryside to this idyllic little place called Chuffington and again much the same as I said <laughs> No, but it was it was like it was Emmerdale on LSD. It's such a scary little small idyllic village where everyone is hiding something. It wasn't inte- it wasn't intended, but everyone is like uh, standing out in the street saying hello, and you know it's like the hot fuzz or world's end scenario where you know there's something lurking. Like no way, this filmmaker hasn't seen Blue Velvet or well, this. No, one. actually, that's a perfect analogy. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's just basically it's it's uh, the theme of it is uh, the farm they've they, they've rented is uh, going to be leveled. And a shopping centre <laughs> on top of it, which is oh brilliant! I love a shopping centre for the nice people in the village. Yeah, that's absolutely. what's in. That's this is how I know it was old and how the film wasn't for me when they were all railing against us. I was like, this will bring jobs to your small town. <laughs> okay, great. great. This is really kickstart the economy in that small town. Yeah, and Pudgy just goes and messes all off it all up in a whole auto-tuned montage where somehow dancing on his hind legs helps. So, so yeah. it's really. Pudsy, the outdated, ardently socialist dog, ruins a capitalist uprising in a, a in rural Britain. Is it? Ironically enough, made by people who just want a book. <laughs> Pudsy, the piggy bank. It's, yeah, we've already spent too much time talking. So is about that it. a two paws up? There's a phrase I could use that's uh, not polite enough to say on radio. Also in relation to dogs. No, don't go see it unless How to Train Your Dragon is sold out and you don't Oh like no, then kids. just wait until the next showing of How to Train Your Dragon 2. No, Sorry. if you don't like your kids, go see it. If you're trying to dissuade them getting a dog, there you are. Go bring them to Pudsy. If you're trying to hide from like a bunch of parkour lads chasing you? Yeah, that works. Yeah, okay, cool. 
Uh, all right then. Uh, from one uh, crappy animal movie to uh, another animal movie. Morning Planet Monkeys. Morning yeah. Planet Monkey. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is out this week. Uh, the wonderful sequel to um, uh, what, I, what I thought was a brilliant film, 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Now that film took me so completely by surprise that I've been excited ever since for a sequel because I just didn't expect it to be any good. I'm a big fan of the original series. Um, I'm a big fan of the ending of Tim Burton's one with the <laughs> monkey Abraham Lincoln, which is just amazing. Oh, it's just that's just, that's just brilliant. That's uh, a franchise. Like this franchise should be dead. It should be, but it rose again. Oh, uh, I set you up for that, and I didn't even mean to. <laughs> I hate myself. Ah, oh, sorry, that pun just dawned on me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so it takes place years on from um, the first one, 10 years on, I believe, after which a man-made virus, which has given simians brain power, uh, has spread and killed most of mankind. They call, they call it simian flu. So we're in a, a real post-apocalyptic territory. Uh, we open up the film with, actually, it's a fantastic sequence where it shows the virus spreading around the world via like red jet streams around the globe. And the countries are sort of filled in with news footage. It was very, very well done. And it covers 10 years of it. And um, essentially then we cut to San Fr- the woods outside San Francisco where we last saw Caesar, uh, here played by um, Andy Serkis. Literally the apes are played by people. Yeah. I love that. All of them. All of them. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, then Jason Clark's character, who's, who's one of the leaders of the humans, along with uh, Gary Oldman and his Mrs. Kerry Russell, who's one of the more offensively useless female characters this year. That's a criticism. Um, as for all she does is worry about him. That's... It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then they want to get a dam going again, so that they can power the what remains of their city. So they have to come into discussion with the with the apes. Um, Andy Circus at this time is raising his family, so there's a bit of empathy going back and forth. But essentially, fear on behalf of uh, both parties. Gary Oldman being the uh, one on the human side, and Toby Cabell plays an ape called uh, Cobell. Uh, on the on the ape side and basically fear of the other arises tension and there's rabble rousing and there's climaxes and stuff like that in fights anyway good things about this film special effects are so subtle you forget about them in two seconds mm. seriously seriously amazing stuff they've basically taken James Cameron's technology from Avatar being the volume the in-house massive studio sized camera that you act inside and they found a way to bring it outside by way of um, they've Use the technology with these wee helicopters they use to survey lands through. Yeah, they, or they ornithopters. It's, or, it's yeah. fantastic. Um, but yeah, really, you forget about them, uh, uh, the special effects in a second. Now, the opening is basic. It's, it kind of it, it reminded me, it's like a mix of the opening of 2001 and Apocalypto. So you're watching like tribalism things, it's really calm and, and beautiful. Uh, but then there'll be the odd time where the apes do something just to show just mind numbing strength. Now, the plot, yeah, arising from the fear, it's not as interesting thematically as the, that of the first one, which had to do with playing God. But director Matt Reeves, previously of Cloverfield, you're not a big fan of Cloverfield, are you? I like Cloverfield. I, I like distinctly remember the first time I watched it and loved it, and had I had no repeat watchings, I'd still love it. Yeah, it's still, it's still a good movie, good mm. directing style, so... Um, it's the, one of the few films that you're like kind of rooting for the monster just so they can shut that guy <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Let Me In which uh, is actually an able enough remake but an, uh, albeit an unnecessary one anyway he's shot this excellently he's really really like just I mean not just with the special effects 
but with uh, like there's a time where like uh, one of the apes hijacks a tank and the way it follows the turret he has the camera mounted in a certain mm. way very Breaking Bad style yeah it's shot excellently um, the soundtrack really harkens back to the original 70s uh, 60s 70s films where it's a bit B-movie-ish and there's loads of steel drums there are magic moments when they initially first get the the um, the power back and the first music that's been heard in years is a uh, the wait by the band that's a real Spielbergy movie magic moment and mm. um, there's a part where an orangutan is like reading a book with a child as again very very magic moments but I'll tell you what there are pitfalls the the, the first film sort of had a slow building tension and a little bit of horror about it and when they got that insane action climax it really felt like the film deserved it and it warranted up to it this film has got such largest Shakespearean themes also which were actually yeah picked up uh, on by the um, the review by, for Film Ireland by uh, Cormac uh, uh, Cormac O'Meara um, yeah there is like there's nearly Shakespearean things going on like 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 friends falling out there's an Iago in the form of Cobal and then despite the fact that everything is played out logically there's a massive action scene at the end that just doesn't feel like it belongs personally. Oh, and all the lo- the, yeah, uh, the action follows logic. There's no no bayhem about it. Like you can see why they do everything they do. At the same time, I'm looking forward to the next film, which engages to be an all-out war rather than because because this felt like it was going one way, and then the ending felt a bit enamelled onto it. Um, do you reckon they're going to bring it all the way through? Like, are we looking at three and then an end, or is, are we going to? I'd say we're looking at three. That's the final one. Yeah. Um, and a, a new trilogy for it. I don't know. Will they try to directly link it into uh, the nineteen sixties ones? Just because, to be honest, it's a lot of baggage. Like oh, comic yeah. book movies already have to do it. If your franchise is free of that, remain free of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just assume Charlton Heston arrives at some point. It'll be fine. Anyway, I'd still really, really recommend people see this. It's a great film to see in the cinema. Uh, just well played drama kind of respects its audience with the expect- exception of the Kerry Russell character uh, don't see it in 3D, 3D though it's way too dark right that's what I yeah. have for that uh, well a disclaimer for it I haven't seen it and I think I unconsciously avoided the first one because the English student in me objected to the use of of twice in a title um, mm. but I actually I caught up in it last week just for all the hype for this one and it actually is quite a good movie it's not I think it's been built up too much for me to like you say you were taken by surprise but I would have liked that to happen I was going in waiting for the amazing stuff to happen and it did but then uh, Malfoy said get your damn paws off me you, you damn, damn dirty, dirty yeah. oh I love that part oh I was like what but the bit that followed was fantastic the first time Caesar speaks and actually I didn't I didn't give the full credit here Andy Circus, take your hat off yeah, uh, I heard an interview with him recently where he said he used to be a theatre actor and my god I'd like to see him uh, he's he's really be, like at this point I know what Andy Circus looks like and I can just <laughs> and I've seen the videos of him acting this in mocap and he really puts in a powerhouse yeah, performance yeah. even like like with the first one I don't know how you can make an ape the main character of the film when it never speaks and yet it works and it was, yeah just the charisma mm. it's just it's amazing like whoever says this technology is fluffing about the, the like you'd know why James Cameron waited for it because the emotion that can be conveyed now via uh, way to technology and the yeah. um, uh, performance capture is, is genuinely quite impressive. Meow, you also saw this week Begin Again, which I've been quite looking forward to seeing it. Is it any good? Um, it's not once, which is both the best thing about it and also it's one flaw. Uh, well, not as one flaw, but... Well, but did you like once? I really it. like once. Yeah, no, I love once, but that, that, that's my thing. People were saying this is once in America, this is John Carney with a budget mm. and, you know, um, stars. Uh, it's not that. It's genuine. It stands on its own two feet. It's a very, very good film. 
again, broad stroke synopsis. Uh, you have Kira Knightley plays uh, the girlfriend of a pop star who is brought over to the States. And, or no, sorry, he is American, played by Adam Levine, Adam Levine of uh, mm. Maroon 5, who's quite good. But uh, yeah, he's brought over to the States um, or is in the States to produce a record and been given the star treatment. And she's she's not tagging along. Everyone assumes she's tagging along, but she's actually his main songwriter and does a bit of singing herself. Um, he quickly uh, gets caught up in his own stardom, uh, kind of screws her over and she leaves and is ready to leave the States when she meets um, an old friend in the form of James Corden who is okay. fantastic in this. Uh, really? Yeah, he's busking on the street and uh, they meet randomly and he convinces her to come to an open mic night where uh, Down On His Luck record producer played by Mark Ruffalo. Hello, um, oh, you've got me at Mark. Yeah, yeah. O- over, over here's... Um, her singing, she bombs, but he loves her. He's he, there's this nice little scene where he's uh, she's just on the guitar herself with the mic, and he does this little musical arrangement in his head, like the piano kicks in and all this kind mm. of thing. It's quite good, interestingly done in that it jumps back and forth in time for the first half of it. It follows, uh, it opens on the open mic night, and then it goes back for both characters and follows them up until that point. And I, the moment I knew it was happening, I was kind of this is going to get tiresome, but it actually pulls it off. Mark Ruffalo is fantastic in it. Um, it all sounds very once. Yeah, this is the thing, and, and and it should be, but it's honestly not because it's much more about her. Like I felt like um, once was kind of an almost romance, mm. and um, like a missed opportunity romance, and two. Well, yeah, there's two down on their luck people meeting, but uh, no, there's something about it. The Kira Knightley is is quite good in it, and Mark Ruffalo is is quite believable as. You know, I, I, I expect to see Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner and everything I've seen him in since, but it's, he's just not like... The, his character in this, despite the fact that he's incredibly self-destructive and you'd end up having to pour him into a taxi, I'd love to go drinking with him. <laughs> he's that kind of character. Like. No, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great actor. I, I love watching him in anything. Yeah. Um, is the, are the original songs up to scratch in this? They're, they're quite good, but it kind of suffers from the fact that um, the whole idea of the album that Mark Ruffalo and uh, Kira Knightley go to produce together is that uh, Mark Ruffalo's recently been thrown out of the company he founded because his life has just gone off the tracks and he wants to do a record around the city because they've no money and filmed live in the environment or, or recorded live in the environment so you have kids playing in the background buses going by and the whole idea is each song is characteristic of the place it's, it's shot in they're auto-tuned and they're very much studio produced and arranged so it kind of now I know you can't exactly yeah, have because w- that great advantage to once is even in that like you know in the music session scene there's that real organic sound yeah. it's, it's live I'd and say the, they recorded that live yeah well if not those specifically the ones with Glenn Hansard say on the street um, hmm. Buskin yeah absolutely recorded live and they're fantastic uh, the original songs aren't they're good and you enjoy them in the moment but you know when I saw once I went and I was listening to it for weeks hmm. I didn't really go back and listen to this again but yeah in the moment it does like I said um, it's not once done in America and that's fantastic because it's a nice surprise and it's a good feel good film on its own but it's also just it's not as good as once has it taken the trophy from Frank for the best music film of the year so far um no Okay. No, it, it's too, uh, and I say too as if it's a criticism, it's not, but it's a different kind of film. Frank is trying to say something to an extent. This is a nice, feel-good film that's very well done. Yeah. Okay, um, and is it more about music than the characters? No, definitely about the characters. The music, Good, I, the music, I, music's I kind have of been, I have been looking forward to this, and I, I, I will check it out. I, yeah. I do recommend. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you, because yeah. you're a nice man. Meow. Okay, well, there's a couple of other things out this week. Grand Central, Michael Rice seemed to uh, really like it for Film Island. It's about uh, a French chap who starts working in a power plant and begins a, an affair with his uh, supervisor's wife. And despite the 
high levels of radiation coming out in his blood test decides to stick around for the affair uh, you'd know it's a French film anyway wouldn't you to go by a cultural stereotype anyway yeah uh, Michael Rice seemed to quite enjoy this um, so th- there's always that to go along to and also Ashling Daly went along to Boyhood which I'm really looking forward to I seeing. can't believe I still haven't seen it yeah uh, Richard Linklater's uh, amazing I'll just say latest because yeah that's all he does yeah. his latest uh, in a cr- cr- a magnificent career sorry very good. Uh, his uh, link latest in a in a career of film experimenting. Um, he started this twelve years ago, shooting two weeks a year with the same actors to tell the story of a young fellow as he progresses into adulthood, from childhood to adulthood, which just sounds like a fantastic idea. Really looking forward to it. Ashton Daly was uh, blown away by it anyway, mm. um, and I hope to be st- too in the next point. And uh, now it has to be said before we go that the real meat and potatoes uh, for today was actually an embargoed screening that Rory and I attended this morning. Because we're so that important. We cannot talk about, but uh, we look forward to. Um, we can talk around it, yeah. yeah we, we can talk around it. We 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 can we say the name of it. No, no, no. Um, because the tone of our voices yeah. might give something away. Even yeah, all right. Um, Embar, don't even go there. <laughs> Sorry. You see, yeah, you just greet me with silence. I laugh at your stupid jokes. Yeah. Well, my my silence is my laughter. That's just not true. I've heard you laugh. <laughs> there it is. Uh, right. So that was um, embarrassing. Yeah. So bottom line, myself and Rory will be talking about this film next week. We stopped off to see it in between uh, rewatches of Transformers Four. It wasn't quite as good as Transformers 4. No, but sure what is. What is, exactly. All right, so, well... Um, oh, also, sorry, very quickly, I'll also be talking about... I, I saw it recently, but I don't think it's released for another bit, so I'll leave the next one. Mood, in, Mood Indigo, uh, which is Michelle Gondry's latest. Oh, yep. Um, any fans of his, brush up, watch every single film he's made up until this point so you can track his slow descent into filmmaking insanity. Uh, it's a good one, but I'll go into more depth later. All right, cool beans. Well, um, so, I suppose that's till next time, till two weeks from now, um... You want to go see Transformers Edge of Extinction? I already have it loaded up here. All right, let's do it. Oh, wait, no, we watch it legally. No, I'm going to the cinema. We're going to the cinema. <laughs> We're going to the cinema. <laughs> see it on the big, loud, chunky IMAX. Yeah. All right, lads, have a good day. I've been Donica. I am still Rory. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Morning, Sam. Morning. Um, I was uh, sitting in the public library of Sermon Street just now, uh, Skimming through Rogue Harry's by uh, Horace Walpole, when I um, suddenly came over all peckish. Peckish, eh? Isurient. Hey? all hungry like. Ah, hungry. In a nutshell. So I thought to myself, a little fermented curd will do the trick. So I curtailed my Walpoling activities, sallied forth and infiltrated your place of purveyance to negotiate the bending of some cheesy comestibles. Come again? I want to buy some cheese! Oh.